Hey, everybody, welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com, including the mini-series we are running over on our Blister podcast on the topic of mountain town economics and affordable housing issues, where we have now published two conversations on the topic and have another one coming out this coming Monday. We think those are really important conversations for anyone who lives in a mountain town or just loves to visit them. So I would really encourage you to check those out over on our Blister podcast feed, which you can find wherever you get your podcasts, or again on our website, blisterreview.com. And once again, we want to make sure that everyone is up to date regarding the different types of camping available in our home here in the Gunnison Valley of Colorado and where those different types of camping are permitted. So we have again included a link to an article in the show notes of this episode that details all of that. And by the way, I'm extremely happy to report that that situation has gone really, really well in the Gunnison Valley. So I want to say props to everybody listening to this who has come here and followed those new guidelines here. It's actually been a real success. So kudos to all of you. Okay, our guest today is Annie Hughes, who is the brand new winner of the women's division of the Leadville Trail 100 mile run. Annie is 23 years old and she is quickly becoming quite a force in the world of ultra running. And in this conversation, we talk a bit about her preparation for the Leadville 100 and of course the race itself. But we also talk about, you know, important stuff like waiting tables, and potentially running for president, which happens to be related to the whole waiting tables conversation. You'll see how that comes together. Uh, Annie and I also talk about her plans to run the Moab 240 this October and what she's most excited to pursue in this whole world of ultra running beyond this October. Annie is very impressive. She is very easy to root for And she happens to be quite fun to talk to, so I hope you enjoy this conversation. And with that, let's get to it. Well, Annie, how are you today and where are you today? I'm good, thank you. I'm in Leadville, Colorado. (laughs) Are you at home? I'm at home. (laughs) Okay, so you are in Leadville. I've heard of it, and I want to say congratulations on a pretty cool thing you just had happen in Leadville. Like, real recent. We're talking Tuesday. You just took first at the Leadville 100. (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, How are you feeling? Um, I'm feeling pretty... uh, I'm still processing it, I guess. Um, But I'm really happy. And um, yeah, it was just a huge surprise for me to win. So We'll get back about the huge surprise part. Tell me how you're feeling physically, like completely beat up. That that would be an acceptable answer. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty beat up. <laughs> okay. Especially the day after I finished, um, I yeah, just taking the com- the bed covers off, <laughs> it hurt so bad, and then like trying to get out of bed was just so painful. Um, and then I was really hungry, but I would take like a bite of something and instantly be full. So. 
it's just weird how your body's all out of whack after these things. But today I noticed a huge difference. Got out of bed, no problem. <laughs> Walking downstairs, pretty normal. So pretty normal. I mean, still, still pretty sore or is that dissipating? It's dissipating. I, um, it, it looks normal when I walked down the stairs, but I can definitely like still feel it in my quads. Um, but it's not nearly as painful. So, okay. Do you remember when you exactly finished? What, what time, what time, what day did you actually cross the finish line and get to stop running? It was on Sunday at a little after 1am. Sunday after 1am. Okay. So we are, I'm not that great at math. Wow. We're like 36 hours later and the soreness is already starting to go away. I just would think for me, I'd, I'd need another like six weeks probably. Oh, really? I probably, I mean, it's, I have, I've never run a hundred miles. I'm holding out for this, you know, maybe sometime down the line, but, um, I just, I don't think I'd be feeling a lot better 36 hours later. Mm -hmm. Probably helps to be 23. That's one of the, one of the benefits. <laughs> I think that's probably, that's probably a great point you make. I'd love to hear more about the day. Now, you said this was a surprise, but as you were, you know, the weeks coming up to the race, were you feeling pretty good? Were you not quite where you thought you wanted to be? Tell me about that part. I was feeling really good. Uh, I put in a lot of work this winter and built... A strong base um, really built up my mileage a lot and um, training in Leadville in the winter is just tough in general so I feel like I've, I felt really strong going into the summer and I've been racing a bunch this summer so it's just been kind of race recover race recover and yeah I felt like going into Leadville I just was coming off of um, the race I did before Leadville was the speed goat 50k and that that really beat me up it's just so much climbing and um, the descents are hard, too, because it's just so steep. And so that was kind of my last big run before Leadville. And then I also paced a friend at the Silverton 100. And uh, I paced her for 30 miles, but I'd also done... I started pacing her at midnight, but I had done two runs the day, like, that same day. Because I was like, I'm in Silverton, I have to explore. <laughs> and so I ended up doing 50 miles and basically, like, one day almost, like with the pacing all night and then the two runs during the day. Um, so after that, I was like, okay, I've done all my training. I'm just going to relax for two weeks before Leadville. So I heard, I didn't run very much before Leadville and I felt fresh. Just out of curiosity, what does it mean for you to say you relaxed for two weeks and barely ran? <laughs> um, I mean, I probably did it most eight miles and I was running probably every other day. It was pretty chill. <laughs> okay, just for the record, eight miles every other day, that's pretty chill. Yes. Let's talk about the event itself. I kind of want to ask you about home court advantage, but we'll we'll get to that in a second. I mean, did you come in very, very clear on like how you wanted to run various sections of this race? Is that kind of your style in general, or are you a bit more of a like, let's just take it a bit more mile by mile, see how we're feeling, adjust on the fly? Um, I would say I'm, I'm a good mix of a planner, but also pretty spontaneous. So I went into it with uh, a plan and I ran every section of the course before the race. And yeah, I took all my times from Strava. I really like Strava because it just holds all that data and you can go back and 
you know, see how long did this segment take you? And that was really helpful in planning how long I thought each section would take me. And I was um, spot on every single um, time up until Winfield. And then I've, I fell off my pace at Powerline. But up until then, I was running exactly what I predicted. So yeah, once I got to Powerline and fell off the pace, it was like, I'm not going to freak out that I'm like off my chart or anything. I'm like still in the lead. Now it's just about competing and finishing. So it wasn't the time that I was going for, but I'm still happy with the results. So Okay. So this is where it starts to get interesting. So you started by saying like, yeah, it was a surprise. The results were a surprise, but you just said you actually had a slightly faster time in mind. It was a surprise that I won, but I, I was expecting to do like 1910. That was my goal time. Um, I felt like it, that would be my A goal. Um, and I felt like it was in reach. Um, and yeah, I just, I fell a bit short of it, but I think, I think I ran a smart race and. Okay. So sounds like what I'm gathering here is you tend to be a like stick to the chart kind of person. You like to stick to the chart. Yes. Yeah. Especially in the beginning. Cause I think it helps, you know, not to go out too hard and, um, yeah, but I was surprised when I found myself in the lead and I was sticking to my chart. So I thought I'd people would probably go out a bit harder than what I was going to do. So I mentioned a couple minutes ago, home court advantage. I just would be curious. Now, part of your story is you're not exactly the seasoned veteran when it comes to ultras, right? You're, you're exploring this world right now and, and it's still pretty new, but I would be curious to hear just what you think at this point in a early career about kind of home court advantage when it comes to these 100 milers, 200 milers, et cetera. Talk to that a little bit if you would. I mean, how much you think like that is a serious advantage or maybe not so much for any number of reasons? I think it is a serious advantage for Leadville. Um just because it is such a high altitude race. And I think that's one of the biggest factors that's a challenge for people um, who come up from sea level. And also just knowing the course, like the back of my hand and like just having easy access and to be able to just plan it a bit better because I can go out there and I wonder how long this section I'll take and I can run it and figure that out. It's just right there. Whereas some people are gonna, they're gonna have to look at, you know, mileage and the elevation gain and try to figure it out based on that but they might not know exactly what the terrain might be like in that section so I just feel like it's a little harder to be precise with the chart um and yeah just building that chart if when you're not familiar with the course I pretty much thought that's what you'd say but I guess I wondered if you thought that there might actually sometimes be downsides to I mean the altitude I give you, right? Like it helps to be training at altitude if you're running a high altitude race. But if there were actually some elements to this where maybe if you are pretty familiar with a certain section and then you find yourself in a race like struggling, if that might actually weigh heavier, right? In the sense of like, man, I usually feel better or I usually am doing better in this section or, you know, and if that might start to weigh psychologically, you have any opinions on this? It's just t- it's just such a long 
race, it's hard to, yeah, be precise about that, I guess. Yeah, just knowing the course is just incredibly helpful. I'm not like super scientific with it, but that's huge in a, in a hundred miler. Let's talk about some of your other ultra experiences. I mean, you, I assume, haven't known some of these other courses as well as you know the one you just ran. Given everything you just said, it's like, yeah, turns out I found those to be difficult. I was doing kind of operating a bit more in the dark than I was on this one. Is that fair? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's just hard to know exactly what it'll be like. And yeah, the elevation chart can only like tell you so much. So I think, you know, especially at the Moab 240 coming up, I feel like like it doesn't look like there's a lot of elevation gain, but that terrain is in Moab is pretty technical. And so it might be slower than I actually think it will take me. So this will be your first 240? Yes. So there's that too, <laughs> a new, a, uh, there's a new distance to play with. Yes. It feels really perverse to ask you less than 48 hours after finishing Leadville 100, but I mean, it seems to me as I was thinking about this conversation coming in, like you're still kind of in this exploratory phase with distances. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. And I mean, you just aced the Leadville 100 test. But I don't know, having come off that, were you like, I can't wait to now go explore a 240? Or are you like, wait, this is how much longer than the thing I just did? (laughs) It's just a different mindset. I think, Um, you know, going into 100, it's like, okay, I'm running 100 miles. But with the 240, it's like you're preparing for 240 miles. So it's just of course, when I'm running 100 miles, like I couldn't imagine doing, you know, 140 more or, you know, getting to 100 miles and not even being halfway. That's crazy to think about doing Leadville and not even being halfway. But <laughs> it's a different approach. So that's how I, I look at it. And I have done a 160 miler before yeah. that took me 61 hours. So I think Moab will take me around like a similar amount of time, maybe like a 10 hour difference or so. But I know that I can be on my feet and do this one thing for that long. And so that's why I signed up for Moab. I was like, I think I'm ready to to give that a try. It's only an extra 80 miles. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) (laughs) These, These conversations just get, yeah, kind of wilder and wilder. So I'm, I'm a little worried about what kind of conversations we're going to be having in like four or five years. (laughs) if you know what i mean as we kind of have seemingly more and more people just exploring longer and longer distances so let's talk a little bit about that i mean your own running history started running in the midwest yeah yes yeah i grew up in wisconsin and i ran cross country and track uh starting in sixth grade and i ran so i moved to colorado for my senior year of high school uh, to Buena Vista, which is just the town um, next to Leadville. Um, it's about 45 minutes away. And I went to Adams State University in Alamosa for two years. And I was on the team for uh, a year in a cross-country season. And um, yeah, I just got really burned out and running cross-country and track. It was just a super competitive atmosphere. And I was really into it my freshman year, like almost to a point where it was like not, not good. <laughs> They're just really intense about running. And I think that kind of caused me to burn out faster. 
And I also kind of discovered the mountains this summer going into my sophomore year of college and uh, became really interested in the 14ers. And I was like, wow, I really want to hike all the 14ers in Colorado. And so I did that after I quit the team and then did a couple trail races. I did um, the Hemez 50 mile and won that. And so I was like, oh, maybe I'm pretty good at this. And then um, I did Silver Rush 50 and was third and got a gold coin to the 100. So that's kind of I was like, okay, I guess I'll try 100 miles Like now that I'm living in Leadville. <laughs> um, it'd be cool to do that race. So that's kind of how I moved up in distance. When you were running cross-country and track, were you paying much attention to ultras at that point and what races were happening and who was doing well at those races? When did you start paying attention to kind of the ultra scene? Um, more when I moved to Colorado, because I feel like in Wisconsin, it's just not a, not many people know about it. And there aren't as many amazing trails as there are here in Colorado. So um, I guess I just started hearing about it when you know I had friends who were getting into trail running and that sort of thing. And yeah, then I started hiking the 14ers and yeah, figured out that people like try to go for records up the mountains and things like that. So um, that was kind of where I first heard about it. And then I remember hearing about... Um, Courtney DeWalter and how she did the Moab 240 and beat all the men by 10 hours and still holds the record. And I think that was like where I became really inspired. And and that's why I'm running the Moab 240s because that was kind of my first inspiration for ultra running. Um, And I've always just loved the, like the long run was always my favorite workout of the week. And, um, but I always, and I always wanted to do like marathons and that kind of thing, but um, I thought I'd go through the traditional, like, run in college, then run marathons, half marathons, and then move up to ultras. I knew I wanted to run ultras, but I thought it was something I would do later. And then when I was burned out and running cross-country, I was like, I just need a change, and I'm really interested in the mountains, mm-hmm. and I think I'm going to give this a try, and I love it. <laughs> Which is to say you kind of skipped the, like, half marathon, marathon, or and, like, half road marathon and road marathon stage and just jump from the track to the mountains. Is that right? Exactly. I've never run a marathon, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Slacker. (laughs) I know. I've never run a marathon. (laughs) That's fantastic. You need to never run one now so that you can just... I don't want to. Just so you can keep saying that. Never run a marathon. Yeah. I don't enjoy the training, like... It, it would be like my college training on steroids. And I, I'm not that calculated with my training. I don't really like doing speed work and that kind of thing. I don't really enjoy that. I just love going out in the mountains and going for a long time. And that's kind of my, my training. <laughs> so yeah. I like how it's a little less scientific. <laughs> I just now still really like this idea that like if you're at the airport and you're talking to some stranger right on a plane and they're like, oh, you're a runner, huh? You ever run a marathon? You're like, no. Like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) That's, uh, that's good. Let's talk a bit about the training then. So you don't like to do it very scientific though. You did say you do like to be pretty calculating about certain sections and, and hitting certain times, at least that's, is that only when you're racing, not when you're training? Only when I'm racing. Yeah. I think it just helps me, especially in the beginning, not to go out too hard. And, um, I think that's so easy to do in a hundred mile distance. And, um, 
yeah, so I just like to stay, stick to a chart for the first bit. And then the second half or so is just about racing and going off of feel. I guess some people, I could imagine, really do say just start out a given race with a specific time in mind. And in a way, they really only care about, can I come close to that time that I thought I might be able to achieve? Other folks are more like, I'm kind of here to win. And those could be two different things, right? You are more interested in the former or the latter or equally interested in both? Um, I think I'm... I think I'm interested in both, but yeah, I feel like I do have that mentality um, that I am like here to win. And like, even if I don't get the time I want, like winning is the most important thing. So, (laughs) but if I I don't win and I still get my time, I'm like, well, that was still a good race, you know? So it's. Okay. But if you don't win and you miss the time, that's when we might get not so happy. Right. (laughs) Gotcha. Fair. (laughs) That's fair. All right. Back to Leadville 100, which again, still a very fresh, very fresh finish. How do you think about this versus some of the other races you've run and really impressive results that you've achieved in some other spots? How are you thinking about this and processing this one? Um, This one, I mean, this is the biggest race I've ever run to date and then to win it. I think, yeah, it's just kind of like almost a shift in my running career or like how I saw my running career before because I just I've never really raced like a big race with like um really great competition so it's kind of cool to see that I'm like competitive not only competitive with these smaller races but I'm competitive on like a big stage as well and it's really fun getting to like talk to you now and sort of at this point in your career because like yeah you're exploring distances but you're also trying to get that sense of like, where maybe could this go? Where do I stand kind of in the, in the scheme of things? That's, it's, that's a pretty cool thing. And I, I hope anyone listening to this can kind of appreciate that as well. You know, that's a, it's a pretty cool time of life, I think it seems like for you. It is, yeah. It's exciting. How much are you thinking about Moab already? <laughs> um. I'm thinking about it. Uh, well, I'm I'm enjoying this right now, and I'm definitely thinking about it. I've been thinking about it for such a long time. <laughs> I think about it every day. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, like, now I have all these other races that I had planned this summer, like, over with. And now I can just really focus on Moab, and I'm just kind of excited to just put my all into that. I just get excited about planning it, and then I'd be like, oh, shoot, I have Leadville. Like, I need to, like, figure that out first. And then it was kind of hard to put Moab in pause because it's just such a big, lofty goal. And it's just fun to think about and plan. But yeah, I also led to Gledville. These are my two biggest races of the whole year, Moab and Leadville. So. Slash life. Yeah. <laughs> I feel really bad for even bringing up Moab. We should be back like, what does one do to celebrate winning the Leadville 100? Like you've said, you're not quite able to like you haven't had the big i don't know pizza party or something yet like what what would once once you're really feeling fully recovered is that when there's a bit of a celebration or nope we've all this is the celebration right now how how do you think about this 
Oh, I feel like I had my celebration on the the finish line when I finished and <laughs> got to. I tried to pop some champagne and <laughs> I've never popped champagne before and I couldn't get it open. <laughs> so I had to have someone do it for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then my friends and family were all there and yeah, it was just really special to share the finish line with them. So that was kind of my celebration, but yeah, now it's time to focus on the next goal. You told me before we started recording, your plan is to take 11 days off. Yes. And you very specifically said 11, not nine, not 13, 11. Why 11? Uh, Well, I like to take a day off for every 10 miles that I raced. And um, the 11 is just like, you know, just to make sure <laughs> I'm recovered. <laughs> okay, we have one extra day just to make sure. Are you actually going to stick to this? Because I worry a little bit that we're going to get to like day eight and you're like, oh, it's fine. I'm fine. I'm just going to do an eight miler. Do I need to like check in with you and be like, you are not allowed to run today. It's only day nine. Yeah, but yeah, I'll probably be I'll probably do a short run around that time, but I like to think that I'll stick to it. (laughs) You said, you know, you don't like to be too scientific about training. It seems like walking and hiking is totally fair game as soon as you want. I like this idea that you actually try to take 11 days off. If I could bet on this in Vegas, I think I know which way I would bet, but I do like the idea that you actually take some time. Yes, you know, I think it's really important and I always take at least one day off per week. But like often only one? Only one. And is that really an off day? Or is that like, and then I go hiking or? It's an off day. What do you do on that day? I, it's so funny. I like just don't know where my time goes, honestly. Because I don't watch TV. Um, Yeah, I'm not like really big in social media or like that kind of thing. And I'm not a big reader. <laughs> and so I literally, I just, I love to cook. And so I meal prep a lot. And then hmm. I'm really good friends with my roommate. And so I feel like I just chat with her a lot when I'm just hanging out at home. So catching up with the roommate, cooking a bunch of food. That sounds like a pretty nice day. It's nice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Tell me about what else is going on in your life. You're currently taking a hiatus from school. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So I um, was a business major for two years at Adam State. And then I transferred to Colorado Mountain College and they have an outdoor leadership degree, but it's a two-year degree. But I thought, oh, that'd be fun. And I could finish the business degree online. Um, and I was really into like hiking the 14ers at that time. So I was like, it'd be cool to be a mountain guide or something like that. Then I kind of figured out I don't want to be a guide <laughs> after the first year. Can I ask why? What did you what did you learn about yourself? Oh, I just learned that um people are slow. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> like, I just wouldn't want to I just think about working at my the restaurant that I work at and you know just having a table that's just super rude and like having to deal with those people for like an hour or two and how much I can't wait for them to leave. And then I think Mm. about, like, what if I'm stuck with them on a mountain for, like, a week or two? Like, that would be terrible. So, like, I don't think I could do that. (laughs) And so then I switched gears um, because my mom was like, you just need to finish your bachelor's degree. Just, like, get that done. 
And I'm not big on online school. And so I was looking at bachelor's degrees that the Leadville campus offers at CMC and education was one. And my mom is a kindergarten or retired kindergarten teacher. And so she was like, you could be a teacher and that'd be a way you could, you know, live in Leadville. And I was like, okay. So I did that for a year and realized I really do not enjoy being around kids. (laughs) (laughs) You don't enjoy kids and slow people. No, not at all. Like not at all. Um, (laughs) And so I uh, did that for a year and then, and I've also just like never really been that interested in school. Like it's just never been an academic person. It's just not really my thing. <laughs> and, but I do, I see the importance of a college degree and I'm going to finish it. I'm just <laughs> taking it very long and <laughs> practice <laughs> there and lots of detours. But I think I'm, I'm taking this semester off just to do the Mob 240 and all that. But um, then I think I'm going to finish my business degree that I started Um and do that online and just kind of suffer through it. (laughs) (laughs) I actually used to be a philosophy professor a long time ago. I always told my classes, which probably the parents wouldn't be so stoked on hearing me say what I said, but I was like, if you're a freshman or sophomore in college and you don't want to be here, I do not recommend being here. You know, go get a job, go travel, you know, go to Europe and get a job delivering food or something and like go to school when you're fired up to be in school studying something. So I say all this just to actually affirm, like, I'm glad you're taking time off right now. I I hope your parents don't listen to this, but like, I don't, I think you should go to school when you feel like going to school. And if you're like, I'm not, I'm not there yet. That's fine. There's a lot of time later in life to get a degree in whatever field you're suddenly fired up about. What's wrong with that? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. If your mom is giving you grief, you just play this part of the conversation to her and be like, I talked to this guy this one time and he told me this and it seemed to make a lot of sense. So, and then she can just be mad at me, not you. That's so funny because she does give me a lot of grief. It's like very important to her that I finish my degree and I will, but yeah. But isn't it better to finish it and like when you find the area that you're most excited about? Because if you, you, so you drone through a business degree and then five years from now, you're all excited about a different field. I guess you'd go back you're going back. For me to go back to school if I took that much time off, um, I just feel like I'm not, I'm just not motivated academically. So I just <laughs> need to get it done now. So You mentioned waiting tables. Mm-hmm. I actually have said for years that like, if I ever were president, which I, that should never be a thing. Um, but if it were, I'd like to, I'd have almost a one platform campaign. And it would be that I think everyone should wait tables at least for six months, six months to a year. I think that there is just, that is an education, but like dealing with difficult people, Mm -hmm. learning like how to not (laughs) deal with people. You, you agree with this? Oh, absolutely. And I think it just helps you like understand, you know, that kind of work too. Like, like everyone, anyone is a server and, you know, comes into a restaurant and like, they're super busy and there's a long wait, like they're going to be the nice people and be like, Oh, I get it. Like, it's totally fine. Like 
you guys are doing awesome. Like people appreciate that so much. And like, you know, the people who haven't worked in a restaurant, like don't get that. And like, it just comes off as super rude. (laughs) My friends are all extremely nice people for the record. But like when we're at a restaurant, I go way out of my way to make sure, you know, if a, if a waiter's coming by, you know, hey, you ready for me to take your order? I do not like it if they have to go like five or six times. I'm like, people, let's get our order in to like, you know, and I get chastised a lot about this, but I just am like, if you've been in that role, I go to restaurants and I'm mostly about making sure that the waiter is having a decent experience. Yes, yeah, I'm constantly thinking about that. I'm quoting you. I'm citing you the next time I'm out with my friends, um, several of whom are runners. And I'm not going to be like, listen, Annie agrees with me. You go to a restaurant. You are there to kind of make sure that the the waiters and waitresses are having like a good experience at your table. Yes. Yeah. It's always embarrassing when you're with someone that like have all these modifications. It's like, oh, I'm no. so sorry. No. Like, <laughs> I don't think I've ever sent anything back in my life. Not ever. Even if it's like not. And like if they truly messed up in order, I I get it. But I I personally wouldn't do it. Yeah, no, I wouldn't either. I just, yeah, (laughs) I just wouldn't go back there again. But um, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't never like make a big fuss out of it or like send it back. But I would pay for it and thank them and leave. (laughs) Okay, well, if you never figure out, you know, what your academic calling is. Maybe I'll put you on my presidential ticket and we'll just have our man, our platform of everyone should be a waiter for at least a year. And then we just have a better country. Yeah, there we go. Okay. All right. See, you can put well, I think that, it would make everyone that. way more understanding and compassionate. <laughs> it would yes. be a good thing for everyone. <laughs> see? Well, good. I'm glad we see eye to eye on this one. So, you talked about with Leadville 100 um, that you thought it was a major advantage, how well you knew the course. So how much time have you already spent or are you planning to spend in Moab? Oh, so I'm actually planning to go out um, this fall because the so I manage the Leadville Race Series retail store. And that's what I've been doing the, the whole summer. Um and the store closes September 15th. And then um, we get all of our product, new product in for the next summer over the winter. So I'll be working more in the winter, but I kind of have this little break um, between the store closing and the new product coming in. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to go out to Moab and just spend some time enjoying the trails out there and getting used to the heat. <laughs> Not a very good heat runner, so excited to practice that (laughs) yeah i mean what do you do other than just go run in some hot weather are you studying up on the various tricks of the trade and how to train for something like that or i mean i know you've already said you're not so into the scientific training but this seems to be a good thing to put some uh forethought into that's probably true because really all i was thinking was taking like an extra water bottle than i normally do so (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I should look into this more. <laughs> I mean, you're the expert, not me. But I think, I think there might be something 
might be something more to that. Plus now I'm I'm conjuring up this image that like in this fall in Moab, there might be this like blonde girl running around <laughs> wearing like a trash bag or something. <laughs> so now I kind of want that to be a thing that happens in the world. I don't know, if you, if you do that, please take at least a selfie and send it to me. I'd appreciate that. I will. But yeah, so hiatus from school currently for all the reasons we've talked about, which means you're going to have a good amount of time now to like, you get to recover from Leadville, you get to prep till your heart's desire for Moab. And that's kind of your, and then cook one day a week and hang out with your roommate. I mean, I think we've got sort of your, your fall. Am I missing anything? Yeah, that's, that's my fall. (laughs) I'm really excited. (laughs) That sounds amazing. I get to live like the professional runner life for (laughs) a month or two. (laughs) Well, to be honest, you've earned it. It's cool to be able to say, I mean, again, um, your, your trajectory has been pretty remarkable and, um, yeah, for you to start getting a little bit used to the professional running life seems about right right now. So good on you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah. And if you don't mind me asking, I mean, again, we've talked about how this is a really cool moment in time for you. And you just said, right, like I'm kind of getting used to the professional runner's life. I mean, how do you imagine this going for you? Or how would you like to see the coming months and years kind of unfold for you? I mean, I always, you know, dreamed of being a professional runner when I was little. But of course, I always knew like, that's super unrealistic, like the percentage of people who actually become professional runners and live that life. It's just so small. (laughs) Um, And I also like, I would never want to put like depend on my running as my career because it's also like my passion. I don't really want my job and my passion to be the same thing um, because that just adds more pressure and that, I don't know, doesn't really need to be there, I think. So I I always want to have like something else, like some job or like, you know, something that I'm doing other than just running. But I'm excited to just do, you know, some bigger races that, you know, the professionals do. And like, I would love to do UTMB and like Western States, Hard Rock, like all those kind of big name races. Um, I think it would be really incredible to have those experiences. And I think, um, yeah, I would love to be up there and like get the chance to compete at those. So. I think those are like my main goals with the sport is I just want to be a part of like these really iconic races. And I think that would be a cool thing to look back on when I'm older, like get these really tough races. <laughs> mm. Absolutely. Of course, when you're older, you might not be looking back. You might still be running. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> well, the good news in terms of, you know, your other job, when you're president and I'm the vice president or or I'm president and you're the vice president, we'll figure out like how that goes. But, you know, if we get to that point, I think being president or vice president of the United States as like your primary gig, but then you can also sneak off to do some, you know, 100, 200 plus mile races. I have plenty of time to do that if I was president. So that would be a first too. I don't think we've ever had, you know, (laughs) someone in the... (laughs) someone in the cabinet who's like hey country um i'm gonna 
be gone a few days here. So um, that, that'll be a first as well. So come to think of it, you've got a lot to look forward to. You know, we've got some work to do here, a campaign to, to put together and figure out. But um, I, think it, I think it's all looking up. I think it's, uh, you're on a great trajectory and it seems to only be getting more interesting. So um, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, really fun to talk with you, Annie. And um, oh, you too. Congratulations, congratulations on what you've just achieved, and it's going to be really, really fun seeing where you go with all of this. Uh, so we'll certainly be rooting for you. Oh, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, sounds good. Well, that's it for this edition of Off the Couch. I want to say thanks to Annie for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, Colorado, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. Please keep moving forward. And we will talk to you again later this week over on our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast and on our Gear 30 podcast. And just one quick reminder, don't forget to check out our series on mountain town economics and affordable housing issues, which you'll find over on our Blister podcast. That's what we've got going. Bye, everybody.